Welcome, SAS people, to the SAS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats of the SAS Revolution, courtesy of Sascribe Media. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and joined today by a really special guest, Danielle Morrill. Uh, welcome, Danielle. Thank you. Great to be here. No, it's a, it's a real pleasure. Um, and uh, Danielle is the, the CEO and co-founder of Matamark. Uh, which is building deal intelligence tools to help professionals in venture capital, private equity, and B2B sales with targeted research and discovery of uh, privately held companies. Uh, have I got that right? Absolutely. Great job. All right, very good. And, and Matamart, is that uh, it's 2.4 years old or, or how old is Matamart now? Yeah, we launched the company in June of 2013. So we actually just celebrated two years from our launch and there were a couple months before that where we, it was in development. Okay, all right. And what what have been your biggest challenges as a CEO and co-founder of Matamark? Well, I mean, endless challenges. I think scaling up the team is the one that we're mostly focused on now. So we've gone from three people to 40 people in the course of these past two years. And as you can imagine, at every level of scale, you run into new challenges. Systems and processes that you built before no longer work and um, that's always tough. And then I think also attracting the best talent and making sure you're kind of building out the various teams at the right pace so they can support each other is also a balancing act. So a lot of challenges there. So you're, uh, I understand you're a, a second time CEO uh, and co-founder. The, your first startup, Referly, um, you know, if I can say it, it, uh, uh, it failed, uh, if, if that's correct. Or is that oh, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we shut it down after about 11 months. We went through Y Combinator and then um, continued development after that program was over, but pretty quickly began to realize it wasn't working. Okay, uh, and, and so w why, um, I guess, you know, wasn't it working? And what have you learned from that experience, you know, uh, that's helped you, I guess, um, you know, for the second time around with Matamark? Um, well, I think fundamentally what I've learned is that it's really very difficult to sell someone else's products. Referly was about helping people recommend products to one another but then actually get paid if a purchase took place. So that would be recommending a product that was for sale on, let's say, Amazon.com. Mm -hmm. And the truth is when you sell other people's products and you don't make things yourself, the amount of money that you make in that transaction is just very small versus the kind of um, margins you get if you're building software and then selling your own software. So I think um, the lesson learned there is just you're going to struggle just as much at any business model. So, you know, whether we had continued with Referly or built Mattermark, it would have been just as hard. So you probably should make sure that the economics make it worthwhile for you to do that. Um, and that's probably the most important insight that we took away. Obviously, Mattermark is where we build software ourselves and sell that software with our own sales team. And um, so the margins in the business model are just completely different. Hmm. Okay. And you, you started, uh, I understand, uh, Referly whilst you were heading up marketing at Twilio, where you were uh, the, the first employee, and uh, it was Twilio by day and Referly by night, um, if, if that's right. Uh, not really until no? the very end. I mean, it was really just a side project. Like I, At Twilio, I ran developer marketing, so I had dozens of various you know, fun hacking projects that I would work on at hackathons and things like that to demonstrate the value of what we were building. So it was really just one of those little projects that I had that made it easier for me to put affiliate links into my own blog posts, and then I started really coding on it again, kind of as I was winding down at Twilio, but I wouldn't say it was like a big endeavor for me during majority of my time there, really only in the last month or so. Okay, all right. Well, I, yeah, I was going to ask, you know, in terms of if you're working or, you know, the founders that are working, you know, during the day and then working on, well, not necessarily their side hustles, but, 
you know, hopefully their future startups at night, you know, how tough that was, would be, you know, and, and advice. And that. I don't think that's doable. I mean, Twilio itself was a startup um, and I was completely focused on there, on being there and growing that company. And that was a ton of work. So I can't imagine actually trying to do both things at once. And I don't think it would have been successful. Okay. Understood. Understood. And have you, with uh, now with Mattermark, um, uh, avoided all of Paul Graham's eighteen mistakes that kill startups? Oh, geez, I guess I'd have to go check the list. I doubt I've avoided all of them, um, but I'm sure that. Yeah, no, I'm sure I've made some of those mistakes. I don't even remember what's on the list. But yeah, I mean, it's a, I guess it's a, the reason a, they're a on the list is because they're somewhat unavoidable. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a, it's a well, I, I guess a tough question, perhaps unfair as well. I don't remember what's all on the list unless I, uh, you know, personally, uh, uh, personally read it. But you know, things about having a, a single co-founder or single founder, bad location. I think you, you uh, at Mattermark, you have a co-founder, uh, if that's uh, correct. Well, I got into Y Combinator without a co-founder, um, and oh, then I ultimately ended up recruiting my husband to co-found with me at, at Referly, and then. Um, Later, we acquired a company called Launchgram, and, and the CEO of that company became our co-founder uh, for Mattermark. So I guess I dodged that bullet by, uh, you know, changing course. But I did start out as a solo founder. Okay, okay. And I understand um, Brad Feld is uh, is he a mentor of yours, and he's on the board of Mattermark. Yeah, he's on the board. He led our Series A back in December. We raised six point five million from Foundry Group at that time. Okay, and I guess it, it's got to help having, uh, I guess, uh, um, you know, somebody. Well, uh, yeah, Brad Feld, not somebody, but you know, Brad Feld to to be, you know, a mentor and on your board. I mean, that's a massive coup, right? Yeah, he's very helpful. He has great advice, and I think also very supportive emotionally of the ups and downs of startup life, which is really awesome. He's written some great books that we um, already had as required reading for our employees, like Venture Deals, which basically walks through how venture capital works. Um, and was already something we wanted all our employees to read. So it's definitely great to have someone we we really admire on the team and supporting and helping us grow. Okay, now that's awesome. And uh, I mean, a more personal sort of question uh, here. But, you know, what drives uh, Danielle Morrill? You know, what makes you get out of bed every morning and think today is going to be an awesome day at work at Mattermark? Um, probably mostly curiosity. There's a lot of interesting things going on in the world that I'd like to understand, and I think I'm not alone in that desire. And I think um, it's always a little bit about you know what what's going to happen today in the market, what's going to happen today in my company, what new things might we discover as we dive deeper into this data. Um, and uh, I want to fill the time that I'm here on Earth with as much interesting um kind of thought-provoking conversation and content as I can. So that's just my personal desire. And a lot of the times the stuff I write or the things I work on is really just for lack of those things already existing in the world. So I just make them. Okay, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess as, as CEO, um, you know, CEOs, well, I, I don't know if it's a fair description to say that they're generalists, but you've got to have a lot of skills, right, uh, uh, as CEO. Uh, and I think you mentioned, you, you know, well, that you... Uh, have the ability, or you are a, a, a programmer and, and can, uh, can code, um, you know, and also obviously marketing skills and uh, I, I guess a, a whole sort of plethora of uh, other skills. You know, how, what are your key skills that you think that you have and that you need to uh, to be a CEO, and how do you keep them sharp? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's valuable to have 
skills. I think it is hard to be a jack of all trades and master of none. So on one hand, I feel like that's the challenge is that as a generalist, you, um, by definition aren't a specialist. So, um, I think the key is really about how to figure out who to hire and then also how to evaluate how they're doing. And by having some experience in software engineering or marketing or sales, it's easier to attract talent because they know you'll appreciate their efforts. And then it's also easier to evaluate coach and reward that talent because you have some basis for judging their work when you can judge their work on results purely. But I think if you really want to help with problem solving, it's great to actually know a little bit about um, what you're doing. For me, I think prototyping has been very important. I, I definitely um, still code often not on Mattermark at this point because I think we've gone past the um, level of rigor that I'm capable of, of coding at, but just working on various side projects. You know, I've been building software since I was about 12 years old, so it's not really a big deal to me to pick up a new language or to fiddle around with um, you know, new tools that come out. And I think the value in that is to always feel like if you have a great idea um, and want to move it forward, rather than just trying to tell someone or convince them that it should be built to just build it yourself and show the value um, is always a much more effective communication strategy. And I think it can get, generate a lot more buy-in. Um, and then on the marketing side or on the, on the business side, I think the skill that I care about the most is just storytelling. And I think that really weaves a thread through all the things I do. Uh, people want to know why we're doing what we're doing. They want to understand um, why they're spending these, these long hours creating things, and they want to understand why this matters. They want to understand why we're going to help them be more successful in the case of our customers. So that, that story basically never ends. It's like being a pop musician and having a set list that you keep going and playing in different cities. Um, you know, the outside world, they're only hearing it once or twice, but to you, I'm basically telling the same stories over and over again every day. So it's good to be good at that. No, it's, uh, it's a great, um, uh, great uh, insights and, uh, and advice. So, uh, yeah, no, it's really uh, good to know. So I read your, uh, your blogs as well, and so you enjoy, oh, the, enjoy the, uh, the story, uh, stories that you tell. So, uh, and I'll, link, uh, I'll certainly link to your, to your blog in the, uh, in the published interview. Um, now, uh, I, I guess outside of uh, Mattermark, um, I understand you're involved in a number of organizations, one of which is uh, Women 2.0, um, uh, and I think that that is a community for the next generation of female technology leaders. Is, is that correct? Yeah, Women 2.0 has been around, I want to get this right, I think seven or eight years now, and it's really a community of women globally who are focused on entrepreneurship and building technology. There's hundreds of thousands of women who've come to the meetups for Women 2.0 across the U.S. and actually across the globe. It's very cool. Okay, and, and, and I guess, uh, I mean, that, that's great, and you, you mentioned hundreds of thousands of women coming to the meetups, uh, um, which is a, a pretty awesome number. I think on the on the website, um, you, you know, the, the stats are that you know there's about sort of thirty percent of workers in tech uh, are women, and only around ten percent of founders. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if those are the latest stats, but uh, it's certainly on on, on the uh, Women Two Dot O website. How are you and uh, Women Two Dot O, you know, helping to to change that stat, or you know, can you help to change that stat? Well, I think for me, I just work to be a good example of what's possible. Um, I'm not really actively working to change that stat. Um, personally, I'm really just working on building a massively successful, valuable company. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think that hopefully my storytelling, like you mentioned, you like to read the stories on my blog. I hope that, um, you know, men and women actually get inspiration from that. But I do hope that, you know, if someone needs a hero to point to, to give them an example of what they could do, I would love to be that person. Um, so I guess my, my job is to basically be a role model and make sure that my company is successful. Yeah, I guess obviously, um, and, and uh, you, you know, if Matamart becomes a unicorn or, you know, whatever your measure of success is, um, uh, then as a, a, you know, as a female founder, then, you know, that's got to be, uh, I guess, a, a massive success to, uh, and inspiration to other women within tech that want to be, you know, female founders. And then I guess, hopefully increase that uh, statistic of only 10%, you know, currently being uh, female founders, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I, my job is basically to be more well-known than Travis Kalanick of Uber. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, yeah, I don't know how, how much work you have to, uh, to do that or how many people you have to upset to, uh, uh, to be more well-known than Travis. Well, I'm good at that. I'm well on my way, but I, I definitely have more work to do. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, and um, so you mentioned that you scaled from three to 40 people in, uh, in two years. Um, you, you know, which is, uh, you know, extremely good growth and obviously, you know, inherent within that, you know, has some challenges. But uh, I guess, obviously, you, you've uh, uh, recruited a lot of people. Now, with, um, you know, hiring, what qualities, you know, are you looking for in, in candidates? Um, well, it definitely varies as far as the skills side of the equation, just depending on the role. But I think on the kind of more general um qualifications, it really comes down to the company's values and finding value alignment between individuals, ethics, and goals, and ours. So um, we've worked really hard over the past um, few months to kind of define what that actually looks like. And I think the one I'm mostly interested in finding is, is this person a truth seeker and truth teller? Um, and it doesn't mean that other people are liars. It's just that some people in the world are... Um, really oriented toward rooting out the truth, finding out the facts about the world and explaining them. Um, and I think we're really interested in those people joining the company. Obviously, that's a big part of what we do. We collect and organize information and turn it into data that can be used to make decisions. So we want to find people who have some degree of genuine passion for that. Uh, even if they weren't with us, they would probably be doing something you know, along those lines. Um, so that's a big one. And then I think the other piece is just we're not looking to have a huge team just for its own sake. We'd really rather have people who raise the bar and are quite good at what they do. I mean, people talk about the 10x software developer, but truly I think you should be looking for that 10x person in every function of the company. Um, and we kind of call that raising the bar as one of our values. So um, looking for people who have evidence in the past of doing that in, in previous places that they've worked is really important. And um, you know, I think a lot of these things can sound somewhat trite, spoken, um, but then when you interview for them, they, they can be very illuminating. So um, a lot of it comes down to spending t significant time with people in the interview process to really understand where they're coming from. Okay. And, and do you, I guess, in, in the interview process, um, you personally, you know, do you have one interview with, uh, with the candidates once perhaps they've gone through, um, you, you know, some uh, of the other management levels? Uh, uh, or, you know, are you involved right from the beginning from, you know, r reading the CV that comes in, you know, uh, well, through email? I certainly do have an interview generally nearer to the end of the process if they've kind of made it through and are someone that um, 
the hiring manager and their team are really excited about. But at that point, I'm generally um, selling. I, I tend to trust my team to evaluate candidates, and I'm mostly, at that point, trying to tell them the story of the company to make sure that we have a good chance of closing the candidate should we want to make an offer. But I do spend a lot of time just researching people and prospecting and reaching out to folks myself because I do find that that's pretty effective. Um, and I, I like to help with that process, but, um, yeah, I I definitely am very involved. Okay. Very cool. And, um, uh, I guess going from sort of hiring recruitment to a question around culture, um, I, I think, you know, I saw on your site that you have, uh, quants, coders, designers, salespeople, data scientists, you know, marketers, uh, and I guess, you, you know, each of those, um, uh, you know, specific uh, functions, you know, people have very different personalities. And certainly from my experience, you know, salespeople to data scientists, you know, perhaps are, you know, very different. You know, how do you ensure that everybody gets along at Mattermark? You know, what are the cultural, um, uh, you know, pillars that you have, you know, within the company? Yeah, I mean, I would probably not stereotype people by function. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I also don't think everyone getting along is really the goal. Um, I think the important thing is that we're trying to achieve something here. We're trying to build a company that has some very specific goals. And I think that the way to achieve a good culture is by having people understand what's expected of them and then understand how they, how they fit. We all want to belong to something. Um, if we're going to bother to join a company rather than work for ourselves, I think there's a desire to have that be meaningful. So I think um, the first piece is that you can't really top down your culture. We could make a list of values that we wanted to have and maybe – those could be aspirational, but the reality is that culture comes from the people on the team. So if you're looking for certain traits, you better hire for them because you can't just make people have a different culture from what the culture that's emergent from the group. Um, so I think it's important to just acknowledge that people are so different. Um, you know, even within sales, there's not um, there's an assumption that every salesperson is loud and extroverted and was popular in high school, and I think that's so far from true. Um, and there's also an assumption that every software engineer is, you know, antisocial, introverted and into geeky, you know, video games or other things like that. Also not true. So I think it's um, important inside the company to create opportunities for people to be individuals that can connect with other people just kind of regardless of what team they're on. You know, we have a science fiction book club and there are people from every team in that. We have a really cool whiskey lounge in our office that um, one of our uh, employees is Panamanian and he's an incredible bartender. There's a lot of people who are into that. So it's just finding out kind of ways for people to connect that feel authentic, like these are things they would do anyway, and creating an environment where people feel like they can just be themselves. I think that's the best um, way to build a great culture rather than trying to say, okay, these are the 10 values we think we want. Now everybody conform to this. Like, that just doesn't work. People don't do that. Okay, no, in interesting, and I'd certainly like to be part of the uh, the whiskey club uh, uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. you're welcome anytime. Thank you very much. Um, and um, so, what, what what's uh, coming up for for Mattermark? You know, what what's next over the next sort of six to twelve months that you you know you're happy to uh, you know share or you know announce? Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to announce formally, but we do have some product releases coming up that I'm very excited about, and um, those will be meaningful to us. They give us new things to sell. They give us new ways for our customers to engage with us, um, and they enable new workflows. So those are the biggest endeavors that we've been working on. Um, beyond that, um, 
definitely going to continue to be very aggressive with recruiting excellent talent, and we may you know have some interesting announcements around key hires and things like that. Um, but you know, we're we're pretty much a just in time company. We're quite transparent, but you know what we put out there is kind of what's out there. And then I think until we're ready to communicate the next you know major milestones in detail, we we tend to hold them close to our chest. But um, as you've probably seen, we publish things like our financials when we're ready to do that. So we look forward to continuing to share things like that as we go. Okay, great stuff. And, and here's the final question. Um, now, I'm curious to, to know, you know, how did Benji get the job as Scrum Master? Oh, yeah, he's just so cute. No, <laughs> um, so Benji is funny because he's the perfect color. Our logo is yellow and he's a golden um, and, uh, yeah, he's just such a great dog. He, he makes everybody get along instantly. Everyone just stops talking and pets him whenever he walks in the room. And I, I don't know what else you could really ask for scrum master being able to silence everyone. It's, it's an awesome skill. <laughs> <laughs> good job. Good job. All right. Well, uh, Danielle, um, you know, thanks so much for, for, for joining us today. You've been a, a, an awesome guest and, you know, I'm, uh, uh, super pleased that you've, uh, you know, been, uh, on the on the show and um, yeah I mean just uh, thanks so much for being here thanks Alexander I enjoyed joining you yeah you're welcome so and I hope if you uh, for the listeners you know if you enjoyed the show please review and rate us uh, uh, on iTunes and uh, we'll see you next time <laughs>